With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All of us. The U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Gold. Hello, hello, and welcome to All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show. My name is Seth Vertelny. Joining me today is Goals Women's Soccer Correspondent, Amy Ruskai. Amy, welcome to the show. How you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Good. Bit more sleep than you, once again. As always, it seems, in this tournament. Also joining us today, former U.S. Women's National Team goalkeeper, Hope Solo. Hope, welcome back. How you doing today? A little heartbroken, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay. It was a difficult result today for the U.S., one that maybe we uh, aren't completely surprised by based on how the tournament went, but anytime the U.S. loses to Canada, it's a shock because it hasn't happened for more than 20 years now. But lose indeed to Canada, the U.S. did 1-0 in the semifinal. The U.S. will not win a gold medal at the Olympics. It was a, a game that probably... Won't live long in the memory from neutrals again, um, as we've <laughs> spoken about a couple times with the U.S. games in this tournament. But Canada sufficiently frustrated the U.S. They got a, a penalty kick goal in the second half from from Jesse Fleming. And the U.S. just wasn't able to, to mount a response. Uh, Carly Lloyd hits the crossbar late. That was the closest that the U.S. came. But for the third time in five games... In this Olympic tournament, the U.S. was shut out after coming into the tournament having not been shut out for four years, which kind of blows my mind. I want to get some initial thoughts from you, Hope. What went wrong today? Why is the U.S. not moving on to the gold medal game? You know, Canada has always wanted this. They have always wanted to knock the American side out in a major tournament. It's been 20 years of basically heartbreak for Canada when they play the United States. And, and I say that in all seriousness. You know, it, it must be really tough because they have great players, one of the best players in the world. They're a very strong athletic side, and they've grown their sport immensely over the years. But they always have been kind of secondary in, in North America to the United States. And 
I think you guys probably know the numbers, but we played Canada the most of any other team, 60-something times. And I believe this is only the fourth time they beat the United States. And it came on one of the biggest stages. So I'm setting the scene a little bit to tell you this is what Canada always wanted. And they had passion. They had drive. They were ready for it. They had organization. They had good coaching. They had a great, solid defense. And when we have an offense, the United States, that hasn't been playing well together, they haven't found their groove. It's not surprising that they were held scoreless once again. Now, at the beginning of the game, I actually really enjoyed that the United States was playing a little bit faster, faster passing. They were pressing higher. They were connecting more passes. They were going in hard for slide tackles. It looked a little bit like the United States that I was hoping to see for 90 minutes, but it, it once again, it, it fell flat and it, was, it became really heartbreaking and hard to watch. Yeah, the first half was definitely hard to watch. Uh, No shots on target for either team. The big talking point from the first half was Alyssa Nair going down with an ugly-looking knee injury. Uh, I think we were all a bit surprised to see her even try to carry on after the way she landed. Uh, Of course, there was that goal kick that came just a couple minutes later where it was clear that she had to come off. And in comes Aidy French. Hope, I'm, I'm curious as to what you think Aidy French's mentality would have been like. This was her first appearance in a major tournament, and it comes as a substitute in an Olympic semifinal. Like, what do you think was going through her head, and, and how do you think she did? Yeah, well, there's, there's more to it. You know, I think when you look at the goals that the United States gave up throughout the tournament, it wasn't good enough. That's not our defense that we're used to seeing. And that does fall a little bit on Alyssa. And I know Alyssa Nair made great saves in the penalty kicks, but that's not good enough. There needs to be more organization in the defense. There needs to be clear decision-making in the defense, more shifting left to right, less gaps, less holes. So right off the bat, I do hold Alyssa accountable in that respect in terms of organizing. And I talked to you about that earlier on a couple of shows ago, that there has to be a true vocal leader in the back, and that is still missing. Now, when you take athleticism, when you take someone who's powerful like Alyssa, who's good in the air, who is very tall and lengthy, you're going to get those penalty kick saves. And that's what we saw. So we got the penalty kick saves that we expect to get from a very athletic and tall goalkeeper. When AD goes in, now, of course, that's tough. But you have to understand the training that goes into goalkeeping with the United States. We are up against some of the best goal scorers in the world every single day in training. At AD, Adriana French is incredibly athletic, probably the most athletic goalkeeper that I've ever seen. She, she comes with some strengths when it comes to her athletic quality, and she comes with a little bit of weaknesses when it comes to her foot quality and her ability to play the ball out of the back. But we didn't see, um, you know, any lack of confidence in Adriana French. You, you couldn't tell. She seemed fully trained, fully focused, fully aware of what her job was to do when she came in. And unfortunately, that's awful to get one shot on goal, a penalty, and it was a fabulous penalty. I don't think anybody would have made that save. Yeah, definitely. You know, we talked about Alyssa Nair's penalty saving ability in the Netherlands game. She did very well, but they also weren't great penalties. And Jesse Fleming's penalty today was just hit with power and hit with accuracy. And so I don't think French had any chance of saving that. I was so surprised when Sinclair grabbed the ball and she handed it over to Fleming. I thought, oh man, the best goal scorer in the world isn't going to take this penalty. But she obviously knew something that we didn't. And that shows the true leadership, I think, that Christine Sinclair has. It didn't show fear. I think she knew that, that Fleming was 
you know, probably the best taker on the team. And that's why she gave it to her at that moment. I love the the quote that Jessie Fleming gave after the game. She, she was asked if she knew that Sinclair would give her the ball and when she decided where she was going to put the penalty. And she she just said, yes, I knew she'd give me the ball. And I decided last night where I was going to put the penalty. It's so cool, like cool as ice, like before a semi-final. And especially when, like you say, you've got the greatest international goal scorer of all time giving you the ball. Like there's some pressure with that. There was no pressure in Fleming's mind. So cool. Yeah, and I, I think that perhaps part of the reason that Fleming took that penalty instead of Sinclair is that Sinclair and Aidy French are teammates on the Portland Thorns and would have faced each other many, many times in practice. And, and maybe French had a better idea of anyone where Sinclair would go with her penalty. I do want to talk about the penalty call. It seemed upon first viewing that there wasn't really much to it. But after you saw a replay, it did show contact between Tanner Davidson and Deanne Rose. A challenge that didn't really come out of any danger. It was just Rose being opportunistic and getting between Davidson and the ball as she was clearing it. What did you two make of the the penalty call? Do you think it was the right decision? I hate those penalties. I hate them. If they're for your team, you're going to be like, yeah, this is a penalty. If they're against your team, you're going to be absolutely livid if it's given because it's like, what can the defender do? It's just, it's just really unlucky for the defender. I think in today's, you know, we say this all the time, in today's world, yeah, it probably is a penalty, but it is really harsh. Davidson's had such sort of a breakthrough tournament and it's a shame that she gives away that penalty. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, it, it, it was a penalty when you see the replay. You know, it's it's doubtful at first. I actually thought Rose sold it pretty well. She she purposely didn't want to put her feet back into the into the pitch, into the grass. So she kind of jumped up and kind of flopped a little bit. But Davidson did did hit her a couple times. In fact, she struck I think her thigh and then and then her calf. So there's no denying that it was a penalty. But I think the hardest part for me is is there was no real angle for a shot to get pulled off. The ball was going straight to the end line, and who knows if she would have gotten a service across the box. But I feel bad for, for Davidson because I think she's been such a fantastic defender, absolutely fantastic. And you could see it all over her face how sad she was. And it, it once again, that was another moment in the game that broke my heart. Yeah, the U.S. tries to find an equalizer, uh, but they can't quite do it. As mentioned, Carly Lloyd comes the closest with the header. But other than that, there wasn't a ton of danger caused by the U.S. Early in the fir- in the second half, there was a little bit more danger caused and, and the U.S. seemed to be kind of turning the screws and, and looking likely to get the first goal of the game. And then, like we saw in the Netherlands game, there was that planned triple sub right around the 60th minute. This time we saw Press, Rapino, and Lloyd all come in, kind of a line change for the forwards. There's some interesting calculations going on, I think, in Vlako's mind when it comes to these triple subs. We've talked about the age of this team. And we've talked about the short window between games and knowing that maybe not everybody in that forward line is able to go 90 minutes. But I think just like in the Netherlands game, this triple sub was a little bit too pre-planned. It seemed like it was something that was going to happen regardless of the game state. And I think that if the U.S. would have kept going with the lineup they had on the field today against Canada for a few more minutes, maybe they do find that first goal. Um, So I'm curious 
if you guys think that it was the right move given the the age of the team and the short window between games, or you think that maybe Vlaco should have let it ride a little bit and, and see how the game changed and then maybe make that sub five or 10 minutes later if necessary. Well, personally, I don't like a complete line change. I think you need to read the game and see, you know, what player needs to come off and what change needs to be made one player at a time. So the line changing thing to me is, is um, too much of a roster rotation. It can disrupt the flow of the game, and it can also disrupt team chemistry. So I don't agree with that, um, except for the three players that go on. You know, you can't ha- you can't complain about because they are game winners, and they will run hard, and they can they can score goals. So it, it's tough. You know, I mean, Vlako um, has hard decisions to make in terms of his his forward line, especially. And I don't think he's making the tough decisions. I think he's giving everybody minutes when sometimes maybe some players shouldn't get the minutes. I think there's been a lot of calls, isn't there, to see Press and, and Williams on the pitch at the same time, which, you know, for a defence would be horrible, I think, really. And we haven't seen that. I think as well, like, there has been a little bit, a lot of pre-planning, I think, with Vlatko. I don't know if it's just because it's his first tournament and he, he's trying to be extra prepared or something, but for this game and the Netherlands game, felt like... It wasn't sort of reactive to the game. It was it was just sort of like, oh, we're going to put these players in at 60 minutes, so we'll just do it now. Like, Pino, I thought Pino was great off the bench. I thought that press started well, but then sort of slightly faded out. But we saw it in the last game when it went to extra time. It felt like those three subs had been made a little bit too early. And had this gone to extra time, like it looked like it were going to for a while. Do you know, it, it could have been one of those things that haunted them a little bit again, just because they wanted to be on the dot with the 60 minute subs so yeah and I agree about the whole forward line change I I don't like that either yeah I wonder sometimes if Flacco is playing is falling victim to wanting his players to like him and sometimes the nice guy doesn't win major tournaments sometimes you need somebody who's cutthroat sometimes you're on the bench for 90 minutes even as a star if the star isn't playing well and it's a tough pill to swallow and it doesn't make players really like you as a manager, but I don't think managers should be liked by every single player on the team, honestly, because I think you're doing something wrong at that moment. Yeah, we can touch on some of Andonovsky's decisions a bit more in section two when we take a more zoomed out look at the U.S.'s tournament as a whole. Let's break there, and when we come back on All of Us, we will talk about the U.S.'s Olympics as a whole. All of Us, the U.S. women's soccer show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. women's national team and the NWSL on Goal. All of Us, the U.S. women's soccer show from Goal. Find more U.S. women's soccer news and opinion on Goal. All right, welcome back to All of Us. In the first section, we took a micro look at the U.S.'s match against Canada today. So let's zoom out and do a macro view and talk about the tournament as a whole and what this means for the program. The U.S. came into this tournament as the the clear favorite to win gold. They had a pretty dominating performance at the World Cup two years ago. They were the clear number one team in the world. They hadn't lost in two and a half years. They hadn't been shut out in four years. And it all just kind of came crumbling down at this tournament. They just never really seemed to figure it out. Even after that opening loss to Sweden, we thought maybe that would be just a wake-up call that they needed. And instead, the way they played against Sweden was almost the template for the tournament going forward. They did have some moments where they showed some improvement 
Uh, they had some decent attacking moments against New Zealand, especially against the Netherlands. Uh, but it just never quite clicked and it never quite looked like the U.S. team that we have grown so accustomed to seeing over the years. So I want to ask you, Hope, to start just in general, how big of a blow is this for the U.S. program to, to fall flat at an Olympics for a second straight time? Uh, it, it, it's crushing. It's crushing for the United States Soccer Federation, for the program, for soccer in the United States, especially because of how much money is put into the women's game here in the United States, more money than any other country around the world. Now, on the positive side, and I said this before as well, is that it's bringing parity to the game. Other countries are now investing, not as much as the United States, but a lot of money to the game. And you're seeing the talent pool now. So it actually makes for a fun and exciting tournament for fun and exciting world championships and Olympic Games. It's not always the United States and Germany in the finals. So it, it brings some more expectation for the United States, and we have to continue to rise to the occasion and build the game faster and develop the game faster than other countries are doing. But that's not what's going on right now. We're, we're going backwards, and it's really tough because we have some of the best players in the world, some of the best athletes, and we have the most finances put into the game. I think what's going on is it's, it's a cultural change of the team. I witnessed this in my final years. Carly and I talk about it all the time. A lot of the players, the older players, talk about it. It's not necessarily anymore about X's and O's. Of course, you need you know a, a good game plan, but you need winners on the field. You need players who are who will go you know for every header who will take players out like Abby. She's not afraid of anything. We had we had Abby Wambach on the team and she'll find a way to score or win. And she may not be the best soccer player, but she will win it for us. I think there's just a, a cultural shift right now. The players are becoming more stars and less winners. Um, we're focused a lot on our appearances on commercials. We're focused a lot on fighting for equal pay. And the other side of it is we're focused more on the science aspect of being a professional athlete. So what I'm hearing is there's more rest days, there's more recovery days, and sometimes you just need your players to get on the line, run a couple 120s, and remind everybody that it's about fighting no matter what because that's the culture of the United States Soccer Federation. The United States women's team is fighting for everything, and we lost that fight a couple, uh, four years ago, five years ago now, in 2016, and I didn't see fight in this tournament from the American side either. So it goes back to culture. Speaking of culture, the person most responsible for the culture on this team is Vlatko Andonovsky. So how much blame does he deserve for how this tournament went? And, you know, you mentioned that you think some of the players maybe lost focus on what they were trying to do on the field with some off the field distractions. How much blame does Vlatko deserve and, and what could he have done differently at this tournament? Yeah, I, I don't know. I just think the team lost their way. Um, I think the writing was on the wall for a while, even though um, in in the friendly matches, you know, of course, they won a lot of matches and let in very few goals. But I don't think they were really tested. When you look at the fitness of the players, um, I don't think Alex Morgan had her legs like she normally does. She didn't have that extra burst. She was working really hard and running really hard, but she didn't have that extra burst to blow by players. And when it came to jumping for the ball, she's usually really good at heading. Her timing was off. So things were wrong in a number of different places, whether it's fitness, whether it's a lack of drive, no hunger. And yes, it falls on Vlatko, absolutely, because I do think he's a manager that wants to be liked. That's why he plays the star players, even if they're not playing well. And he doesn't know how to sit a player. 
He wants everybody to like him. And I, I think that's part of the problem. Obviously, he's a young coach in terms of international experience, but I also think a lot of the accountability relies on some of these older players. It's a culture of winning, so you got to find a way to win, period. Yeah, it's it's interesting because with Jill Ellis, it did not appear that she was someone that the entire locker room loved, but she has results now to show for her tenure Vlatko, by contrast, every player you speak to just seems to love him. He seems to be a real player's coach, and everybody has such huge respect for him. And And he's accomplished a lot, but now, in his first tournament, clearly has not gone as he would have wanted. And And you have to ask yourself, maybe this approach that, that he has with these pre-planned rotations and maybe the approach that he had with, with playing certain players over others has kind of backfired on him. I think as well, like this experience is going to be so valuable for him. You know, we said this going into the tournament, it's his first tournament and he's an amazing coach. We've seen that in the NWSL. We've seen it for years. He's obviously a talented coach. It's just, you know, this experience, you cannot match. You cannot get tournament experience, the pressure environment, the decision-making under such scrutiny, you can't replicate that in a three-game series against lower-ranked teams that doesn't mean anything. This is such a valuable experience. I mean, I don't think his job is in any trouble or anything. Like That would be such a knee-jerk reaction and kind of offset the programme as it is. But I think that what he will learn from this is going to be massive because it's nothing he's ever experienced before in his, his coaching career. Going back to Jill... A lot of the players had experience, more so than Jill, international experience, and not every player loved Jill. Um, her man- managerial style, she, it was a lot a lot of fear-based kind of leadership. Um, and many times we wanted to win in spite of, of the coach, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, we weren't the best team um, all the time back in 2015 when we won the World Cup. But we still had winners and found a way to win. And that ultimately falls on the shoulders of experienced players. And this USA team has plenty of that. Yeah, I think Rapino said after the game as well, didn't she, that players have to be holding themselves accountable. So I saw that after the game. And she said that maybe Nea is the only one that performed well enough through the tournament. So, if, you know, the players clearly recognize where they've fallen short and are holding themselves accountable. Yeah, that was definitely an interesting moment at the post-game press conference because Vlaco was asked a question about some of his coaching decisions, and Rapino, after Vlaco answered, kind of stepped in when the question wasn't directed at her and, and basically defended him and said that it was down to the players and that it was basically their fault for, for not getting the job done. And of course, there is a lot of truth to that, but at the same time, almost every single player on this roster plays below their potential for a consistent period of time over this entire tournament, that has to raise some questions over the the coaching. I would think so. I would think so. But, you know, I think we've, before Vlaco um, took over the job, I think the United States Soccer Federation looked at so many different options for coaches, um, scanned everywhere, you know, across the seas, and decided Vlaka would be the main person. So I, I would have to agree with you, Amy. I don't think his job is in jeopardy, which is quite surprising, to be honest, because, um, you know, we've had coaches in the past where we'd had one major loss or one major tournament loss, and they were gone the next day or the, the same bus ride home, 
you know, we had the president of U.S. soccer sitting on the front seat of the bus. And the moment we walked into the hotel, the coach was gone. Which coach was that? <laughs> no, there's been a couple. You guys, there's been a couple. I was not insinuating any particular 2007 coach, just so you know. <laughs> oh, okay, not to, not to name names, but just a, a particular coach who happened to be in charge that year. You can draw your own conclusions there. No, there have been there have been a couple though of coaches. Like even in a friendly match, I remember when we lost five zero in a friendly, and that coach was gone that same day. So before this tournament. We spoke about how it could be the end of an era. Uh, as we've mentioned many, many times, this team is very veteran-leaning. Um, a number of players are partaking in their fourth, fifth, sixth major international tournament. A lot of the team's biggest stars are, are in their mid-30s or even late-30s in the case of Carly Lloyd. After this tournament, uh, do you think, Hope, that the, the way that it went for the U.S. is going to accelerate that that generational change that we've been expecting. Yeah, I'm I'm really really excited for Carly because she has sacrificed so much in these last twenty plus years of dedicating you know her life to football, and she's missed out on a lot. So I I think you know Carly's one of the best players in terms of fitness right now and strength on the U.S. team at. 39 years old, and she could still go for a couple more years. I truly, truly believe that. I think she's a leader on the team. I know she's a leader, um, and I know she holds herself accountable in a way that not a lot of players do. But for me, I'm excited for Carly to turn the page because she can finally do the things that she's been wanting to do for so long. So I know she's heartbroken. She wanted to end her career on a high note, um, and she deserved to end her beautiful, fantastic, you know, record-breaking career on a high note. But it doesn't always happen that way. But she, uh, she's got a lot of beauty to go home to um, and a beautiful life ahead of her. So I'm so excited for her to start, to start that journey. Speaking of record breaking, she, um, she went level actually with Christy Pierce today, I think on most caps ever, second. So she plays in the bronze medal match, Lloyd. She goes second all time outright and she'll only be behind Christine Lilly. I mean, whether she wants to stay around and, and catch that, I think it's about 40 caps or something. But yeah, she'll go second all time, which sort of outlines how big a player she's been and how involved in all the sort of big games she's been in in the what twenty years or something that she's she's been playing. Yeah, and I do I do wonder how much of a factor it is that the next World Cup is in two years instead of three, the way that it normally is after an Olympics. Um, when you look at players like Lloyd or Rapino or Sauerbrunn. Is there a little bit more of a chance that they might look ahead and say, all right, I have one less year to wait until the next World Cup. Maybe I do try to hang on and, and see if I can play out the next couple years to the point where I'm in contention for the 2023 World Cup roster. Those two years are certainly going to fly by, especially, um, you know, you're six months out. It feels like it's right around the corner. So the year and a half, this next year and a half is going to fly by. And I'm, I'm certain some of these players that we mentioned are, are going to want to stick around. Definitely. There will be an interesting discussion to be had after the tournament. But of course, the tournament is still going despite the U.S.'s loss. And we will take a break. And when we come back. We'll talk a little bit about the bronze medal match as well as the gold medal match between Sweden and Canada. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Find more U.S. Women's Soccer news and opinion on Goal. 
U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal. Welcome back to all of us. And as mentioned, the U.S. does have one more game despite the disappointment of today's defeat to Canada, and that is the bronze medal match, which will be against Australia after the Matildas lost for the second time this tournament to Sweden. Sweden wins their semifinal 1-0 to set up the gold medal match against Canada, which we will talk about in a second. But before that, I want to talk about this bronze medal game. Megan Rapino was really trying to emphasize the importance of this game, saying that the team was excited to play, excited to go for a medal, that it was very important to them. But how important is it for the U.S. to get bronze now that they have fallen short of their goal of a gold medal? I think when I've, I've been speaking to some players in the build-up to the Olympics about the medals that aren't gold, and the medals that aren't gold in the Olympics mean so much more than a runners-up medal from a World Cup, like a third-place medal from a World Cup, because it's like, it's an Olympic medal. It's very, very cool to say I won an Olympic medal. I think it'll mean different things to different players. The players that have won however many gold medals, it might mean a little bit less. Do you know, if it's a player that probably isn't going to play in the Olympics again, it might mean a little tiny bit more. The players just starting their careers, for somebody like Tina Davidson, for example, who's had such a breakthrough tournament, to be able to pick up a bronze medal will mean so much. So I think it varies probably from player to player and their expectations and how they're feeling after the defeat and things like that. But I think an Olympic medal is so much more than, like I said, finishing third at a World Cup, I think. I think that's really well said, Amy, that it means different uh, different things for different players. I also think that the further removed you are from the tournament, so a year down the road, you know, eight months down the road, you're going to look back, whether it's bronze or silver, and remember that journey that got you there and the struggles and the sacrifices you made, and you'll, you'll, you'll be proud of that bronze, even if you're somebody like Carly Lloyd or Megan Rapinoe who have gold medals in the past. I do have a bronze World Cup medal, and it was quite miserable going through the process. Like after we lied, we weren't going to be in the gold medal match. It was quite miserable to, we had to amp ourselves up and almost fake ourselves out to get excited for the game. And it was fake. I mean, it was, we weren't quite ready a couple days later, but we got it done. And then it was years later, I could look back and be really, really, really proud of that bronze medal. Yeah. I can't help but wonder if maybe a way for Vlaco to get his team more motivated is to put in some players who haven't seen the field much in this tournament. Um, if you start a player like Katarina Macario or Christy Mewis or Casey Kruger, you might have a bit more motivation on the field because this is really their chance to prove themselves in the Olympics that they haven't had so far uh, as compared to a more veteran player who's going to be a little bit more fatigued. It's going to be a little more jaded after having lost in the semifinal in such disappointing fashion. Uh, so I'm wondering what kind of a team we should expect and, and how the U.S. might come out. And, and, and maybe we will see them kind of go all out and, and, and try to attack for basically the first time this tournament um, for a more extended period of time. You know, we've seen it in fits and starts, but but maybe the the U.S. just goes all out to, to try to win this game. I guess it really depends on the pressure that Vlatko is, is feeling. Um, you don't want to go home without a medal at all. Um, he can at least say that he led a team to a bronze. You know, he, they were at least on the podium, and I think he probably needs that. 
I think personally, this is a great time to start younger players, give some of the older players a little bit of a rest, let them come on so that they can still get their minutes and you can still get a standing ovation at the end of, end of the game. Um, but I think this is a great time to play some of the younger players. And, and you're right, some of the older players are fatigued and emotionally exhausted. And maybe they need these younger players to start the game off bring some joy back to it, have fun, cheer their younger players on, and then they get to go on and, and end the game. I think that would be a beautiful moment for them to end this tournament with. You can imagine as well somebody like Katarina Macario, like this exciting young talent who can light a game up. She's given the chance to play in a bronze medal match. She's going to grab it with two hands and she's going to do everything she can to show what she's worth. And she will bring something different to a team and spark it into life. And like you say, like the fatigue... I mean, they played, what, six games, five games in 13 days? That is ridiculous. And, yeah, I think some rotation, like we saw the game today, was a slog. Just a little bit of rotation, I think, is needed. Yeah, we mentioned earlier that, that we don't think that Vlaco's job is in any kind of, a, in, in any kind of jeopardy. Uh, but I do wonder how much of a factor this bronze medal game might play in that. Uh, If, for example, the U.S. comes out and gets beat 3-0 by Australia, uh, is that something that could put him over the edge in terms of losing his job? Or is it just not an important enough game where the performance that the U.S. has is going to make or break his job status? I think I'm still on the, I think he'll stay. I just... I just think it would be such a, like, you lose a year of progress, two years of progress even. I mean, it's technically a year with the pandemic, but, like, you lose a year of building up to this next tournament and then you get another coaching and then, you know, you've only got two years out from a tournament. And I think, yeah, I think it would be still too knee-jerk. Let's move on to the gold medal match uh, to, to close out the show. If there's one team that has been by far the most impressive side at this tournament. It is Sweden. They have won all five of their games, including, of course, the Olympic opener, where they thrashed the U.S. 3-0. Going into this game against Canada, you would have to make Sweden the favorites based on their performances and and based on the way that Canada has played at this tournament as well. Um, it's they've They've been very impressive in getting to the gold medal game, but they haven't put together a string of incredible performances the way that Sweden has. You know, they've kind of frustrated teams on their way to success, including today's game against the U.S. So so when you look at this gold medal match, what is going to be the difference and, and, and who do you guys see coming out on top? Well, I think Sweden and Canada both are very solid defensively. I think that's Canada's strength right now, but they lack an attack. They lack any sense of flair in the attack. Of course, they can get their goals, offset pieces. They can get their penalty kick goals like we saw today. But um, Sweden, for me, is by far the better team. And when you line them up, they both have great defenses, but Sweden also has the great midfield and the attack going forward. And so for me, it's going to be Sweden coming out on top. Yeah, I agree. I think it's I think the progress that they've made under Gahardsen has been so good. To go from obviously twenty sixteen, the silver medal when they played so defensively, to then build on that foundation, there's nothing wrong with having a good defence, but to then add this dynamic midfield, these amazing wingers, this, you know, incredible goal scoring, somebody like Aslani pulling the strings. You know, there are top clubs all over Europe that want to sign Swedish players because they are some of the best players in the world right now. They have so much talent on the attack, and I think that's going to be 
you know, they, I think they'll have enough to get through Canada's defence, and I'm not sure that Canada have the attacking spark to get through Sweden's. Yeah, and speaking to, to Hope's previous point about how this tournament has, has shown kind of the growth of the women's game in, in general, whoever wins this game between Sweden and Canada will be a first-time gold medalist. And I think that, that we can all agree that the more teams that are in contention to win the biggest prizes at these tournaments, the, the better off the game will be as a whole. Yeah, I think it's cool as well to see like Christine Sinclair will will sign off from her career whenever she chooses to do so. She will have at least a silver medal. Um, there are so many players that will sign off because of the US's dominance. You know, somebody like Marta or Famiga, for example, will sign off without a a gold medal. The fact that Sinclair could get a gold medal, Caroline Sager could get a gold medal. She's thirty six now. I think that's really cool. Like to sort of spread that out and. It won't be as sad as a neutral when you see somebody so great retire and they don't have that gold medal. So for me as a neutral, I'm like, yeah, I want, I want as many different teams as possible to win to win gold. I think I'm a little bit more selfish. I want those gold medals to be <laughs> be in the United States. But at the same time, I, I also find myself get teary-eyed thinking about the prospect of somebody like Christine Sinclair getting a gold medal. Because at the end of the day, I'm still... I still love athletes and I love sports and I love those beautiful moments. And you're still finding those beautiful moments, uh, no matter what sport you watch right now, you know, even in gymnastics, you're seeing new gymnasts get gold medals. And I get the chills every time thinking about that, whether it's an American or not. Yeah. You could, you could see what it meant to the Canadian players just to win today's game. And so you have to imagine that, that being able to go one step further and win the gold would just be such an incredible moment for them uh, after they've, fallen short at, at so many other tournaments so it will be very interesting to watch both the gold medal and the bronze medal game and we will definitely be talking about those matches on the next show uh, we are going to wrap up for today thank you for joining us thank you amy thank you hope and we will talk to you all next time all of us the u.s women's soccer show from goal Get the latest news and views on the U.S. women's national team and the NWSL on goal.